The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We welcome you here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life. I bear greetings as well on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, who is away in these summer months. He will be joining us again beginning next Sunday. A particular welcome this morning to the pulpit to the Reverend Brittany Longsdorf, multi-faith chaplain at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, and formerly University Chaplain for International Students right here at Marsh Chapel. Welcome home, Brittany. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy help and salvation. Oh, he would hear, thou to this temple draw near, join me in glad adoration. Oh, Amen. 
Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us a sacrifice for sin and also an example of godly life. Give us grace to receive thankfully the fruits of this redeeming work and to follow daily in the blessed steps of his most holy life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. As the psalmist declares, God has searched us and known us. There is nowhere we can go from God's Spirit. There is nowhere to flee from God's presence. So this morning, wherever we may be, we join together in silent confession as the choir sings the Kyrie. Dearly beloved, as we confess our sins, God, who knit us together in our mother's wombs and formed our inward parts, is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 through 34. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give instructions when I come. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us say together verses from Psalm 139 with the Antiphon.
O Lord, you have searched me and known me. discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot obtain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 21, verses 4 through 19. Glory to you, O Lord. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. 
So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw, saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said this to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to, to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After he has said this to him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Good morning. I want to extend my warm gratitude to my friend, colleague, and mentor, Dean Bob Hill, for extending this invitation to me to preach on the summer series, Beloved Community. But I also personally extend my thanks to all of you who have been my beloved community for quite a while now. It's a joy for me to be in worship with you this morning and in spirit with you always. Please join me in a word of prayer. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. You might have noticed that we have somewhat scandalously gone off lectionary for this morning's scriptural text. And you might be wondering, what on earth do these texts have to do with one another? Over here in the lesson, we've got Paul talking about the Eucharist. Over there in the Gospel, we've got Jesus coming back to the disciples and Peter being asked, do you love me? And then over in the Psalm, we're talking about being deeply and fully known by God. As some of my undergraduate students would say, the scriptural selections this morning are sort of a hot mess. What could they possibly have in common? 
Well, I am here to grant you a great revelation and to inform you on the deep insight that all of these varied and different texts have something strikingly in common, and that is that they are all my favorites. This sermon is in some ways my swan song at Marsh Chapel, so I took a little liberty and went off lectionary to focus on much-beloved texts that I've held in my heart for years. And while perhaps I chose these texts at first simply due to my fondness for them, as I read them more deeply in my sermon preparations, I realized that they are all about love, a radical, recommissioning love. John 21 has always been a particular favorite of mine because it was my great-grandmama Evan's favorite. She used to call this story in her sweet southern twang. She was a diehard Southern Baptist from Alabama, and she would call John 21, breakfast on the beach. And while this may bring to mind images of pancakes and eggs and sizzling bacon, and perhaps if you're a Parks and Recreation fan, the very word breakfast makes you think of Ron Swanson, this breakfast is so much more than just a breakfast on the beach. This breakfast is the catalyst that creates the church. This breakfast is what compels these disciples to begin to build the beloved community. In fact, I might argue that without this fast-breaking, Eucharistic morning meal, there might not be a church at all. Let's put this story into some context in the overall Gospel of John. The disciples we see here have been alongside Jesus for nearly three years. They've shared meals with him, learned from him in the synagogue and the field. They've traveled with him to dangerous and fruitful territory. Jesus has washed their feet and challenged them to do likewise. These folks have been called to go into the world as ministers embodying the Holy Spirit. And these disciples have walked alongside Jesus through the darkest of valleys, too. They have seen him betrayed, accused, beaten, and brutally whipped. These Devoted friends have walked with Jesus up the hill and have wept and died as he died on the cross. These disciples have also witnessed the resurrection, the wonder of Christ's return and continual presence in our world. And so it seems that if anyone in the entire universe was primed and ready to go into the world and become builders of beloved community, it would be these men and women. And yet, and yet, at the beginning of John 21, we see the disciples sitting around the Sea of Tiberias and not knowing what to do with themselves. Peter a bit abruptly says, I'm going to go fish. And the rest of the disciples follow. They get into the same boat on the same sea and return to the same old life they had before they ever met a man called Jesus. Dr. Frank Crouch, professor of New Testament at Moravian Seminary, suggests that the disciples' actions follow a typical human pattern. An intense spiritual experience soon fades, and one returns to the same things he or she has always done. I experienced this quite recently, actually. I am a great lover of the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. I particularly love the French Impressionist room, which is just beautifully filled with Monet's and Van Gogh's. 
I remember the first time I walked into that room and my breath was physically taken away. And I spent hours looking at each individual painting, wanting to understand every brushstroke, every bump on the canvas. In fact, I took up as a spiritual practice going to the museum almost every week for a year, simply to walk amongst the paintings and pray. But I started just walking through the Impressionist room, looping around it and barely glancing up. And soon enough, the spiritually significant became familiar, and I hardly looked at the paintings at all. Last week, I was able to go to the art museum with a new friend named Beth from Arizona. When we got into the museum, I started walking us directly to the Impressionist room to show off the goodies. And when we walked into the room, we both stopped. And the ground seemed to have shifted. Waves of sheer joy and wonder just washed over both of us. And I heard Beth gasp in a way that I used to once gasp at this room. And she moved around slowly and began to drink in each painting. Later, she shared with me that her aunt used to paint her miniature replicas of Monet to give her some art and culture. But this was the first time she'd ever seen one in real life. I saw the paintings anew through her eyes. Each one looked different, more powerful, after I'd ignored them for years. I had forgotten that sense of spiritual wonder, and I followed that human temptation to return to the comfortable, to return to the familiar. This notion of going back to the familiar after being called to something new has been a part of the human experience for thousands of years. Consider the ancient Israelites' release from enslavement. They had been bound as slaves for hundreds of years and had cried out in weariness and oppression. And then they were delivered from slavery and they were called into a new way of living. And yet, and yet they soon took their own slaves, and denied the basic needs of life to those who needed it most, the orphan, the alien, and the widow. They lost sight of what it meant to live in beloved community, and they failed to love in the way they had been commanded to do. History proves that it is so easy to ignore and forget the impact of spiritual experiences and our own sense of call. The initial commissions for the disciples is met with excitement and ease, but as time passes and the rhythms and struggles of life set in, they all return to the familiar. Maybe it was because they felt so weighed down with the grief of losing their savior and friend that they had to go back to something comfortable, something they knew. Maybe it was practical. They needed to make a living somehow, and they knew they were good at fishing. Their excuses are plentiful and perhaps even justified. We have all experienced these moments of institutional depression when our entire society and community becomes careless and lethargic in the face of need. But let me tell you this. Just because something is familiar or comfortable or the way it has always been done, that does not make it right. Comfort is often not the precursor to justice. 
This lapse in calling and purpose, it resonates with us here today. We're just a few decades after Dr. King's marches on Washington for civil rights, just a few short years after we first heard the term beloved community, a few moments after we were called to look at our diverse faith and cultural brothers and sisters as just brothers and sisters. And yet, we find ourselves living in a world with pervasive and persistent racism. Our jails are filled with African-American men and women, the majority of which who have committed nonviolent crimes. Our schools still face segregation and our universities lack diversity in our faculty and administration. Women are still paid less than men for the same work and are in constant threat of sexual violence. Hate speech is spread more easily through social media and anonymous messaging. Religious prejudice and Islamophobia run rampant, and our diverse, faithful family and friends are threatened on a daily basis. And yet, and yet, we still turn off our TVs when the news being reported gets too dark. And sooner or later, the media moves on as well. We go into the comfortable rhythm of going to work, coming home, and watching Netflix. We eat meals from unethically sourced companies, buy clothes made by slave labor, vote for bills and politicians who blatantly discriminate, and we have gone back to fishing. We were called by Dr. King to be a beloved community just 50 years ago. But fishing is easier. We know how to fish. And fishing is so much more comfortable than fighting for equality or living more ethical lives. But what happens when the disciples go back to fishing? They don't catch a single thing. It isn't until Jesus, standing on the shore, tells them to cast their nets to the other side of the boat that they catch a whole heap of fish. Peter, realizing who Jesus was, leaps out of the boat and swims to shore. Now, considering the circumstance, I think I would be a little nervous if I was Peter. Peter just blatantly led the disciples to disobey the command that Jesus had given them to build a community. He went fishing instead, and now Jesus has had to appear for the third time to them and help them catch those fish. But when Peter approaches the shore, what does he find? Breakfast on the beach. Jesus, once again, shows us what it means to be a servant leader, a justice seeker, and a great, compassionate friend. Jesus takes on the role of servant and makes a small fire, roasts some fish, rakes those coals, and bakes some bread, and offers it openly around to the disciples gathered there. Despite their disobedience, Jesus offers hospitality and a warm welcome. And afterwards, he turns to Peter and asks what appears to be a simple question. Do you love me? Peter answers right away, of course, Lord, you know I love you. But Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? A little ruffled, Peter insists, yes, Lord, I love you. But Jesus asks a third time still, Peter, do you love me? And Peter answers, yes, I love you. 
Jesus says, go and feed my sheep. Jesus offers Peter and all of the disciples a recommissioning, a recommissioning. When we are lost and the world around us seems bleak, we are offered a moment to answer the question, do you love me? And we are recommissioned, re-enlisted towards the work of love. In 1 Corinthians, we see Paul recommissioning the people towards the Eucharist. The Lord's Supper should not be a rote ritual, something comfortable, easy, or convenient, but a chance to reflect on the inner self, a chance to wait for one another in community, a chance to remember the beloved. We need recommissioning. Because the truth is, we all mess up. We all get scared. We all sometimes choose what is easy over what is right. All the way from the Israelites to the disciples to now. But the good gospel news of breakfast on the beach is that there is forgiveness. There is hope. We get to try again to build this beloved community. We are recommissioned. And Jesus shows us that we build that community through acts of hospitality, sacrifice, love, and by serving one another. I have a friend who is a pastor in a rural congregation in Virginia named Milton. Milton grew up with 10 brothers and sisters, and his father was in the military, so his mama largely raised them alone. And every night she would pick up these big, beautiful books and read to her children. And she constantly impressed upon them how important education was and how they needed to learn to read so they could read these same stories to their children. And six out of these ten kids went to college, which was uncommonly rare for that generation, perhaps even a miracle, And as an adult, Milton wanted to reread those same stories that his mother read to him as a child. He searched high and low for those books, and he finally found them. But when he began to read them, none of the stories seemed familiar. None of the stories were the same. Later, Milton found out that his mother never learned to read. She was illiterate. But she wanted to make sure her children knew how important reading was, so she made up the stories while holding up the book. Like Jesus cooking fish on a fire, Milton's mother led by example and compassionate servant leadership and created a beloved community around her. And her acts of love literally changed the lives of her children. This is love. This is servanthood. This is the building of beloved community amidst oppression, injustice, and strife. As you have heard from other preachers throughout this summer series, the term beloved community didn't even originate with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but with a philosopher and theologian named Josiah Royce who founded a fellowship that Dr. King was a member of. But Dr. King recommissioned this term to the task of radical nonviolence and character-building love. King said these words in a speech in 1957, but I think we can hear them as if they were written for us today. 
Dr. King speaks to us. Love is creative and redemptive. Love builds up and unites. Hate tears down and destroys. The aftermath of the fight with fire method which you suggest is bitterness and chaos. The aftermath of the love method is reconciliation and the creation of the beloved community. Physical force can repress, restrain, coerce, destroy, but it cannot create and organize anything permanent. Only love can do that. Yes, love, which means understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill, even for one's enemies. Love is the solution to the race problem. So here we are today. Over the past few months, we have experienced immense tragedy and have felt deep pain. Racism and hate have rocked us to our core and we have been grieving. Do you love me? Dr. King calls us to build that permanent community through love, radical love, creative love, that builds up and unites us against the evils of our world. Let us not return to the familiar. Fishing is no longer good enough. We cannot return to that lake. We cannot return to that boat because human lives are at stake. Do you love me? 2,000 years ago, the disciples were called again, were recommissioned toward acts of love and acts of service that would transform their whole community. Just 60 years ago, we were called to stop heinous racism, oppression of those from other cultures and religions, the torment of women, and we can do that by building beloved community. Let the reverberations unsettle us, and let us hear the question that will move us forward. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Amen.
You may be seated. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul noted, we should devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So let us come personally and collectively to prayer, standing, sitting, kneeling, or however the Spirit moves you. The call to prayer is the hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord. Let us sing together. Heavenly God, Lord of love, as a people of faith, we praise you and give thanks to your holy name for your boundless love and faithful mercy. We celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Great is your faithfulness, for although we succumb to temptation, you are slow to anger and rich in love. Because of your great love, we are not consumed by sin. Lord of life, we testify to your goodness and great power to redeem. You gave us Jesus Christ who gave up so much so that we could have much. The incarnate deity provided the path to salvation through his suffering and death on the cross. And although we continue to sin, time after time you have forgiven us. Great is your faithfulness, for, for no matter how many times we ask for your forgiveness, you have never retracted the opportunity for redemption. We commit ourselves to you and ask for your cleansing power to eagerly share our abundance of time, wealth, knowledge, and love with others. Lord of peace, we ask for your comfort. We pray for those who are enduring droughts, floods, tornadoes, or extreme heat. Comfort them, Lord, and give them the strength to persevere. We pray for people whose lives are affected by violence and oppression. Comfort them, Lord, and give them the strength to endure and forgive. We pray for the sick, the dying, and those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Comfort them, Lord, and give them the strength of your presence. As we ask these things, we pray that we will recognize and cheerfully accept our role in forgiving in fulfilling these requests. Help us to comfort others with comfort we ourselves have received from you. As we conclude eight weeks of our summer preaching series, we are grateful for the ministers who have served us here at Marsh Chapel. 
thank you for the opportunity to hear the word through their voices. And we pray that you bless them so that they may continue to serve you through their ministry to others. We know that you are faithful to all of your promises and loving to all of your creation. Hear our prayers, for we offer them with the faith that you are near to all who call on you in truth. We pray these things in the name of the one who is crowned with many crowns, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now as a community of faith, we pray together as the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We express our gratitude this morning to Brittany and her safe return here among us and bearing the word to us. Brittany has the distinct honor of being the uh, last batter in this National Summer Preacher Series. Uh, Next week, Dean Hill will return to the pulpit, and the following week, on August 30th, will be our annual matriculation service for incoming students here at Boston University. We look forward to seeing you then. As the semester gears up, we encourage you to take a look at the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu slash chapel, as well as our social media outlets on Facebook and Twitter for all of our upcoming services and activities, as well as the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Gabrielle Faure's setting of the Cantique de Jean Racine. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
God of the Sabbath, we offer to you these fruits of our labor in a time of rest and pause. Bless these gifts and our rest so that we can give ourselves and use these gifts for your service in the world. And in your holy name we pray. Amen. From Psalm 139, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. 
Let us walk out into the light and build beloved community. Amen.